Starting a new business is an exciting journey, but it also comes with its fair share of risks. Business insurance safeguards your hard work by protecting your assets. Without it, a substantial liability claim could put your personal finances at risk. Liability insurance also gives you a competitive edge in the market. Visit Zensurance forward slash save 35 to get a free quote for the low cost insurance protection you need so you can focus on your growing business. Welcome to Canada's podcast. Hello, I'm Mario Taniguzzi, Managing Editor of Canada's Podcast. Today on Calgary's podcast, we have Amanda Hamilton, who Hello. is Creative Director and Founder of Amanda Hamilton Interior Design and Palette Archives. Thanks, Amanda, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And I have to note, I'm also the founder of Three Foot Nothing Construction, which I started just before the pandemic, too. Great. I am glad you mentioned that. hard hat behind me right there. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> well, let's start by just explaining what those three entities are of, of what you do. Uh, let's start with you know, the interior design uh, component. Yeah, for sure. So I founded um, my interior design company, formally incorporated in 2009, um, but started it in 2007. So it's been a while now. And um, we do work both in, well, actually across a couple of different, we do residential, we do commercial, we do hospitality, and we work with a lot of real estate developers. So that's everything from putting together a full set of construction drawings to specifications, finishes and materials. And then we all also do a ton of um, furniture procurement, art, accessories, styling. Mm -hmm. um, we do that across Western Canada and projects as far east as Toronto, when we have projects um, also into the U.S. We've got some projects um, down south as well. So that's that's lovely. It takes me all over the place um, from a traveling standpoint, which is which is great. Now, what about Palette Archives? What's that? Yeah, Palette Archives. So that was sort of um, that was our solution to like, you know, we meet with meet with these amazing people. And, and of course, Interior design services, you know, it is it is a more luxury service often. And so we, what we were finding is there was this whole niche of the market that wasn't being served. So what Palette Archives is, it really democratizes design and it's an e-commerce site. And it, we've got over 35 pre-curated finishes and materials palettes. So if you're somebody who's maybe like undergoing a renovation and you kind of want to manage it on your own, maybe you're not in the position to hire an interior designer or perhaps you don't want to hire an interior designer, um, you can order one of our boxes online. They're $125. And then basically you get all of your finishes and materials shipped right to your door. So instead of you running all over the city and trying to fit, figure everything out, this yeah. kind of the decision for you. And that's what a lot of clients say. They go, I know what I like, but I don't know how to bring it all together. So we bring yeah. it all together. Um, and then I guess the construction company we started, um, you know, probably I think that was in 2019, um, right before the pandemic. And again, it was just this like trying to find this niche. We were having not really great experiences with some of our contractors and we wanted to be able to control the experience from start to finish. So all the way from the design you know, through to the construction and then the final sort of installation. Um, we just we just thought we were in a position to be able to do it a bit better than it had been done um, and really wanted to focus on the transparency with the client so that they knew that we were really taking care of them. They knew where their dollars were going. You hear all sorts of horror stories in the construction yeah. industry. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's been going really, really well and has been a really nice um, add for our interior design clients who generally also have a little bit of construction with their scope of work. 
Okay, so tell me how uh, you got into all this, like initially, like uh, what was the motivation and the inspiration to get involved in this kind of uh, industry? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I feel like I was an accidental entrepreneur. I did not grow up in a family of entrepreneurs. Um, I didn't even, I didn't, I don't even think I knew what that was growing up, but I was a creative artsy person. Right. And so, um, I, I used to do a lot of musical theater and acting and singing. I played a few instruments. I was always, um, you know, somebody who wrote a lot, read a lot. I used to draw a ton. And so I actually went to, once I graduated high school, I went to the university of Alberta into the general arts program. And Uh I just, it just was too general for me. And I just remember sitting down one day and kind of having, um, like in a bit of an epiphany, I was like online checking out a few different things and I found interior design. I just sort of stumbled upon it. And originally I kind of wanted architecture, but I'm really glad I selected interior design because it just feels like the perfect combination of all of my skill sets. And then I think there was that other side of my personality, which was really well suited to being an entrepreneur, right? You know, it was just, I was always the person like when I was a kid who'd be like leading the group or coming up with the ideas and getting people to like follow along. So it all happened like really organically, I would say, but that's kind of what it was is it's like, yeah, it was just like a lot of arts mixed with like the right and the left hand side of my yeah. brain kind of got to co-mingle. <laughs> now, You've won you've won a several awards uh, over the years. Uh, you know uh, everything from you know design to uh, business awards, et cetera, et cetera. Now I don't know if you recall, but uh, <laughs> way back in time, <laughs> way back in time, <laughs> when I was at, with the Calgary Herald, I remember doing a story on you when you just started yeah. your business, and uh, it, you know I remember interviewing you at, in your home, and so. My question to you is like, how does someone, uh, you were young at that time, still are, <laughs> you're still young. 40, 41 now, 41, okay. I started my business, like I think, yeah, I was in my late 20s, mid to so, late 20s. So yeah. how, do you, how did you get from, from those sort of humble and, 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 and small beginnings to where you are now, very uh, a successful Entrepreneur and businesswoman, uh, known throughout Canada, U.S., uh, internationally. Tell you me know, a- yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I have lots of lots of things to to reflect on, and lots of people to thank. I think I think some of it was inherent to my personality, right? I I grew up in a in a kind of an unusual family setting. I was raised by my grandparents alongside my mom and her three younger siblings. And so we, you know, we always joke around about it being like free range parenting, right? My grandparents were both like full working full time. My mom was working two jobs, you know, to sort of make ends meet. And so I was in this large family structure. There were seven of us in one house with one washroom. And so from a very young age, I became wildly independent, right? So I think that independence and that grit and that tenacity is something that sort of followed me into school. Um, and then also because I because I come from a family of educators, I actually followed them around to different schools. So I actually went to 13 different schools between kindergarten and my finishing of university. So that also meant, you know, I had to be very adaptable. I had to be very resilient. Um, I had to, like, be really comfortable with change. And I think all of those things are um, necessary to be an entrepreneur, to, to really excel in that in that area. And then, of course, I think. You know, everyone, everyone has a little bit of their story of how they got the leg up. It was actually a client of mine 
who I was, I was moonlighting at the time and I shouldn't have been. And my, my bosses found out at my very first job and they're like, you're gonna have to make a choice. And like, when I say moonlighting, I was designing like 5,000 square foot restaurants, you know, one year out of school. And I was doing it in the evenings while I had a full-time design job. And I was also working at a restaurant three times a week. So, Mm. you know, I think there was a, a big work ethic portion there that was, I would say, I have to attribute to my grandmother. She didn't retire until she was 82 years old. So I think that work ethic was a big one, but it was also that client who pushed me saying like, you you can do this on your own. So I ultimately did that. And um, some of my first clients were actually my former husband's clients. And so he, he's a personal trainer. And so he would work with a lot of really high net worth clients who also needed interior design services. And so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door from a residential standpoint. Um, and then also a restaurant standpoint. And so we we really made a name for ourselves because I started doing a ton of restaurants. And then all of a sudden, everybody was like, who is this person? Yeah. Um, and, and I guess the rest is history from there. You know, I think um, I have to attribute so much of my success to an amazing team. We focus a ton on company, company culture. We put a lot of education back into the studio, a lot of resources back into the studio, making sure that our people are happy. And that's, you know, if your people are happy, your clients are happy in my mind, right? Um, yeah. for, the, for, the most, for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. So I think a lot of it has to do with the incredible people that I actually have working at my studio for me. I attribute a lot of my success to having just incredible people around me. So in your uh, bio, uh, mm-hmm. uh, two words came out, uh, jumped out at me uh, that describe you, bold and unorthodox. Yeah. <laughs> Explain that to me. How, how do you think you're bold and non-orthodox? Ooh, this is a good question. You're like, let's see if there's a story here. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, in, in many ways, those are words that have been attributed to me. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know that I necessarily was the person going around and being like, I'm bold and unorthodox. But, <laughs> but I think in that sense, the way that I look at it is I'm really committed to the creative industry and creative professionals, creative entrepreneurs. I believe that we deserve to earn a living. I deserve, I think that we deserve the respect that a lot of other professions get that we may not necessarily get. So when I think about being unorthodox is the fact that I do truly believe that you can be an artist and a creative person and make a living for yourself. I think there is this notion and I used to have it that I had to break through that like, if you were going to be a creative person that you're going to be, you're not going to make no money, you're going to be poor. Right. And then if you went to go make money that you were selling out. And I think that that like, that's just old school notion. We just need to get rid of it. And so in that way I do, I feel like I speak out a ton about, you know, women in business, about creative professions, making sure that we get paid. We're often the first profession. If there's some sort of event or something going on, it's like, the photographer, oh, see if the photographer will just come for a few hours and, you know, photograph, not thinking about all the time and effort associated with that, or like somebody to come and do decor. And the amount of times I have been asked, Mario, to come to somebody's house and then come up with a concept with them unpaid, and they're just to see if they like it. And it's like, no, I have, I have a portfolio. That's like saying to your tax accountant, well, I guess see how much money you can save me. And then if I like that number, I'll pay you. <laughs> Why is it that in creative professions, it's okay to just like not or, pay the graphic designer or, or the artist, you know? Or being a writer and people knowing it and, hey, I know what, we've got an event coming up and you uh, publicize it. Well, exactly. <laughs> and, I've, and I've written a book too. So it's like, I've done all of these creative things. And so I think when I think about being bold and unorthodox, yes, it's for sure about how we approach um, the design community. 
But I actually think it's more, it's less about like the design and it's more about how do we approach our team? How do we approach like um, our stance in Calgary? How do we better the community? How do we create legacy? So to me, it's like, it's bigger than just creating bold and unorthodox design. It's really how we take our our creative business and how we actually act from a day-to-day standpoint that I find is different. So where does the creativity come for you uh, on a daily basis and, and inspiration? You know, uh, uh, does it just pop in your head? Uh, you're out walking in the woods one day and boom, the idea comes. It's a really great question. And, you know, again, as a creative person, that is one of the first questions you get asked. And and it's sometimes a tough, tough question to answer. I think, I think for the most part, people feel like, oh, you go online, it's Pinterest and travel. Travel is a really big one. Yeah. Uh, but for me, what I've learned, and I kind of call it like white space, this notion of white space, this like breathing space, right? The emptiness, I find an emptiness is actually where your brain shuts down enough where new mm-hmm. ideas come forth. So they're, they're in very unorthodox situations. I generally find it's like on the treadmill or I'm in the shower, you know, I'm out for a walk, I'm camping. It's actually generally when I'm doing nothing related to interior design. Mm. Um, we are inundated with so much new information in this industry. So it's actually when you like step outside of it a bit that I find you are inspired by, you know, um, adjacent inju- in, uh industries or just other situations and then of course like i have to say travel is a big one for me but i think it's travel combined with quiet right like just just looking and walking and having no agenda and just like picking up something very organically not knowing when you're going to use that little bit of inspiration running a new business can be stressful the last thing you need is to worry about unexpected accidents or lawsuits Don't overlook the importance of liability insurance. It's a critical investment in the success of your business. Protect yourself, your assets, and your reputation by securing the liability coverage you need. Take the first step in safeguarding your business. Today, go to zensurance.com forward slash save35 for a free business insurance quote. Get the low-cost insurance protection you need from Canada's small business insurance experts. Now, a good friend of mine is an artist and a very successful artist known internationally. And I remember him telling me one day about how, you know, he really has two jobs, right? And uh, the one job that he has is being the artist. The other job that he has is being the business person. Um, I imagine that's the same for you. How do you juggle those two and uh, still keep the creative side of what Amanda Hamilton is still out there. It's probably the thing I've struggled with the most and probably one of the hardest things um, that I feel like I I deal with on a day-to-day basis. Um, How I do it is, is really committing to the fact that, you know, I've got a team of 13 people and I feel very responsible for them. I feel responsible for their professional development. I feel responsible for, how they're doing personally, even, you know, like we really do want our staff to be incredibly um, seen and heard. And so you have to make room for that. And so there's this balance of working on the business, which to me is more entrepreneurial side and in the business for me, which is a little bit more the creative side. And so how I've been able to strike that balance is first contact with clients is generally with me so they can get a sense of what I'm all about what I'm nurturing at the studio, what, what a hit is all about. Um, and then I generally am involved in the first design discovery meeting as well as the concept meeting. 
um, for like some of the larger projects. And that's to ensure that the creative direction, which is creative director is still part of my role, founder and creative director. I'm still involved in making sure that I'm kind of nurturing the direction of the project. That is why people are coming to our company, right? They want to know that I'm involved. But the other part is then nurturing the designers behind the scenes. And that was a harder transition for me to make because clients initially, when we didn't set the expectation up front, were like, I expected you to be in every single meeting, but you just, you can't, you can't be in every single meeting for every single client. So, you know, really I work behind the scenes with the designers to make them the best versions of themselves, to make sure that they have the tools, to make sure that they would design in a way that I would design into while still having all of their own creative freedom. Like we have a ton of autonomy in our studio and we always say it's a bit of a democracy in here. Mm. Um, it's what makes it fun for them to work in is that I provide yeah. an environment like that, but it's not without guidance, right? It's not without having a, a, a sense of where I want to see these projects go and having a sense of what I think the clients need. They are hiring you for your opinion. And it takes some time when you get into your career to be able to say like, no, you hired me for an, for my opinion, and I think you're not making the right decision here. They yeah. can choose to do what they want afterwards. But yeah, it's, it is it is a real balance of going, I have to put all this time aside to run the business, but then also make sure that clients are still kind of getting that personalized experience. Yeah. If you had somebody come up to you, uh, a young person, say in their 20s, like uh, like you were, and uh, and wanting some advice about becoming an entrepreneur, what would you tell them? Oh, my goodness. Oh, so many things. But this is so this is the thing, Mario is like, I, I wouldn't go back and change a single thing. But the things that I would say to people, like when I started my company, it was in the middle of the recession, I left a cushy job, I didn't it wasn't like I was let go and didn't have any other opportunity. Yeah. I had no savings, I had no business experience. I would probably go back to most people and say, get your feet wet and make your mistakes on somebody else's dime. Right. So I lot of, I, I learned a lot of early lessons because I was only graduated for three years and then I started my company. Now, during those three years, though, I was very busy at the firm I was working at and I was working freelance doing projects. So I do think that I probably had twice the amount of years of experience because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say just making sure you feel really comfortable because I think you do your client a disservice if you if you come out and you start out on your own and you really don't have your feet wet. There's a lot of things that yeah. you don't work tool that you just like, you need to learn and be mentored under someone. So find a really great mentor, work with them. And if you're working with a really great company, they will teach you how to start your own business. I have people who work for me that I know that they may eventually leave, you know, a head and start their own company. My job, I believe as a mentor is to set them up for success. It doesn't mean that I'm going to put them out and make them my competitor, of course, but like, If you have goals to be this way, I'm going to give you the tools to go there. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to be able to support those people to to move on. So that's what I would say is find a company where you're going to get a really great, great mentorship from somebody there who knows that maybe potentially you're going to move on because you want to do this on your own. So when you look back at, uh, you know, I'm I'm sure you've got hundreds uh, plus uh, of of, uh, different projects. Is there one that has stood out for you? And uh, from the interior design perspective that you just thought that was really neat. That was really cool. Well, one of my, one of my personal core values 
is legacy. And I am obsessed with Calgary. I love Calgary so much. Like it is, I'm originally born and raised in Edmonton, but I've, I've been in Calgary now just as long as I was in Edmonton. And so one of the ones that like kind of popped into my head first was Rodney's Oyster House. So the reason why I find that interesting is because I had an opportunity to work in a historical building. I got to see that building change to many different things while I was in my twenties and into my thirties. And then I had the opportunity to go back and return that building to look closer, like what it used to be to really like pull out um, the inherent sort of characters of that building. And when I think about the work that we create, I do think about legacy. I think about how are we helping shape the infrastructure of Calgary and how are we helping shape the experience of people visiting from outside of Calgary, right? Because like not Montreal, we're not Toronto, we're not Vancouver. People are predominantly coming here because they have family here, they're going to the mountains or they're coming for the Calgary's to compete. So like, I'm like, what's the cool opportunity to be able to bring people here for other reasons? I think we have an amazing food and beverage scene. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of beautiful things happening in arts and culture. I just got back from the Glenbow tour. I had an arts common tour last week. Like it's cool to see how we might in our lifetime touch Calgary and ideally improve it. So mm-hmm. I think, I think that one, just because it feels like a little bit of like a, of a way that I, I was able to touch Calgary. Okay. Now, when you look at your industry, Amanda, what are some of the key trends uh, you're seeing right now in uh, interior design? Yeah. So when I, when I think about trends, like, Trends are very cyclical, like if you're talking about very specific trends. But when I think about trends in terms of like my industry from a business standpoint, um, I think that there is this move towards being able to um, really find niches that haven't been filled and service your client from multiple different aspects. So I think part of our success has been because I have vertically stacked my businesses, right? It's not like I have four different businesses in four different areas. You know, these businesses are all related to each other. So I have the ability to service all different types of clients. And I also think that there has traditionally been a big trend in, you know, the business advice is always like specialize in something and then do that thing over and over again, because that's how you get the efficiency. Well, what's been really fantastic for us, I've been through three full cycles of recessions now. Yeah. When, when one part of our business dips, another part goes up. So as an example, we're in a bit of, we're going into, or I don't know, Alberta feels like a bit of a bubble sometimes, but you know, going into a bit of a recession, recession, um, we find that renovations amp up. If I only did one type of design when the pandemic hit, we would have been, we could have been decimated. Like if I had okay. only done restaurants. But because we do work across all different facets, yes, it makes things slightly less efficient. Yes, it cuts into my margin. But what it does to me is make a slightly more recession-proof business so that when the market ebbs and flows. And so I think that there's more companies now that are looking at different business lines and different like avenues for revenue, yeah. understanding right that like this is how you also protect yourself and it's also how you create some growth in your industry. So... I mean, I I feel like that that is a bit of a trend that may not have answered your question specifically, but <laughs> no problem. So you mentioned your book. Um, I'm, yes. I'm curious about that now. I want to get the title straight. Not that likable and other stories I told myself. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Tell me what the book was about and why you wrote it. It has nothing to do with an interior design and business, but I do <laughs> plan on writing a, a, a more business related book afterwards. But it's um it's a satirical memoir and it's my coming of age story. So it sort of chronicles like 
you know, from birth to grade 12. Um, and it's just a collection of like funny essays. And people always ask me like, well, why did you write a book? And honestly, the only sto- answer I have is that it has a story inside of me. And I actually think everyone has a story inside of them. And how amazing would it be if you could have access to everyone's memoir, that you could understand why they are the way they are. I think yeah. that we would all be way more empathetic, way more patient, way more understanding and like way more connected to people. So yeah, it was just like, a, I was bullied heavily from like grade six to grade 12. So there's stories about that. Um, I joke around, it's kind of about um, boobs, boys and maxi pads, you know, like it's definitely targeted a little bit more towards a female audience, though I've had lots of my, my, my guy friends reach out to me like, I read your book. Um, you know, so I, I think it's, um, I think it's really about like finding yourself and finding your place. And it's been so interesting also just watching the book grow online because it's available on Amazon mm-hmm. and it continues to be a bestseller wow. in the LGBTQ category. Um, and, and, and specifically in the coming out and everybody's like, is this a coming out story? It's actually not a coming out story, <laughs> but there's something there for people that is about not feeling seen, not feeling accepted, not finding the, pe- the people and the place around you. Um, where you can be yourself. So it's been really interesting because I would never have expected um, that it would be living in that category at all. And it's been a really beautiful gift to see people like really enjoying it in in that category. Well, this must be pretty wild for you thinking right now, like, you know, and and I'm thinking, okay, where your past was and and you thought, you know, talking about growing up and and being bullied and all that, not being accepted to now where, uh, you know, you're well known. You're, uh, you know, <laughs> you're, uh, you're high profile. Uh, you know, everybody likes Amanda Hamilton type thing. How do, what goes through your head when you think about that? Well, I'm like, first of all, Mario, there's no way everyone likes me. I think well, this is this is the the book that I mean, the reason why the book is called Not That Likable and other stories I told myself has been very much about going through this story of like not feeling likable. But also this notion that when you grow up, if you will, um, that all that stuff that happened in your childhood goes away. But the reality is, is, is it, it really doesn't. I mean, I think what changes the older you get is you just care less. You just care less what other people think about you. Yeah. But I also think that there's been a bit of a shift. We were talking about this in my office the other day. I have an office of women. And, you know, when you see when you see women treating other women poorly, it used to just be a thing that people would participate in. You would just gossip and that would be the thing. And now it's just considered in my mind to be just like so unhealthy and like tacky and just not like, you know, the the notion that like women need to support women. We already have had it hard enough in so many (laughs) different, different avenues, different areas that it's like, I, I think that there has been a bit of a shift of people just trying to capture that, like, it's okay that this is not somebody I would hang out with, but I can, but I can respect what they're doing. Um, so it's like, it's kind of a combination of that. And then also just not caring anymore. I don't, I don't think that everybody likes me, but I also don't have the expectation now that everybody likes me. Yeah. And then the flip side of that is also recognizing that there was a time when I thought no one liked me. And then I went through life and had so many people come back and say, you didn't realize the impact you had on my life when you did this thing or you said this thing. We don't know. That's the thing. That's the lesson. We don't know how much, 
like something as silly as an Instagram post that somebody just needed to hear that day, you know, yeah. the amount of time that happens. So I feel like when you are, let's say a public figure or somebody who's influential or somebody who's in, like really involved in the community, you have a responsibility to act in a way that allows other people to be able to sort of like, you know, come to you and, and act as, as hopefully, you know, somebody that's inspirational and that they yeah. look up to. Yeah. There's like, to me, there's a social responsibility there. All right. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Amanda. Yeah. thanks Amanda, for joining us today. Of course. All right. That was so uh, Amanda. Oh, thank you. And uh, so my uh, guest on uh, Calgary's podcast has been Amanda Hamilton of Calgary. I'm Mario Taniguzzi, Managing Editor of Canada's Podcast. Thanks for joining us today.